what is going on ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh we got jays jumpers jaron jackson jr john Rance, joe johnson's job rafts of course we got jersey brown for days josh, you we almost had two j quarterbacks starting the super bowl it was looking like we were heading that direction for a little bit it did it did did you see that um there are only two quarterbacks to win a high, a national championship and win a Super Bowl, Super Bowl, and both of them are named Joe. Yeah. yeah. Montana was one, and then and then uh, Namath, was, and right? Then Namath, yeah. So and, it's it's just destiny. And now Joe Burrow could be, I believe, the first to win national championship Heisman and Super Bowl. And he's definitely the first one to do it in the same 36-month stretch. <laughs> definitely could be one of the first to do that one because that is all of the all of the accolades are ridiculous. The fact that 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 team won what was it three games last year and that was, were like yeah four and we're 14 months removed from a major knee injury and now that team that like and, and the scary thing about the Bengals is that they have a very real issue that's going to make their <laughs> offense even more ridiculous than it already is. Right. Like their offensive line is horrible. Absolutely horrible. And it's still, it still hasn't mattered to the extent that they're in the Super Bowl, and they survived the one game where it was really, really an issue. Thank God for Ryan Tannehill. And now here they are with a chance to, to win a Super Bowl. So we might have to, uh, get Joe Burrow in our honorary. Is that is that cheating he, though? Is that cheating though? No, I guess not. What? Yeah. Jays, jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Ranch, Joe, in the sense that he's not a. I guess Bryson was in our honorary yeah. members for a little while, so I guess it doesn't it need can, to be basketball players. You're right. Oh yeah, no, no, yeah. At least it, in honorary it, sense. Yes, he gets an honorary induction if they win this thing. No doubt about it. I think you're right. I think that's I think that's only fair. How wild is it, by the way, that we went the entire history of the NFL without a team hosting a Super Bowl at its own stadium, and it's happened two years ago. Yeah, somebody Ridiculous. pointed somebody pointed out that Kansas City was well on their way to having to play twice in a row. <laughs> yeah, and obviously now it's Cincinnati instead. But no, yeah. that's just tough. <laughs> that is that is really tough. <laughs> um, it's Monday. It's a Monday, actually. Are we going to give you a live AT, AP Top 25 right now? It should have just come out. We're going to give you a live one right here, right now. Released January 31st. Here you go. Auburn, Gonzaga, UCLA, Purdue, Kentucky, Houston, Arizona, Baylor, Duke, and Kansas is your top 10. Anyways, it's a Monday. And apart from Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs being losers on this Monday, uh, we have winners and losers in the college basketball world as well. We will start there per usual. Mr. Doring, we'll start on the good side. We'll get the dessert. We'll get the dessert first. Who's uh, who's your winner this week? Are you ready for this? Uh, I'm not sure I am, to be honest with you, but hit me. The Drake Bulldogs. Oh, stop it. Why? First, well, first not that all, I actually have an issue with that, but. Of course, anytime we get a chance to highlight Drake, we're going to do so. Secondly, last weekend, overtime road win over Northern Iowa. They got another overtime road winning at Illinois State earlier this week. Then 77-68 win over Loyola Chicago, which now means they are tied with Loyola atop the Missouri Valley. 
mm-hmm. after a not so great start. And now Loyola just cannot score the ball to save their lives. This was one of their better offensive performances in recent weeks. And so this thing is wide open. And the specific reason why they're my winner pertaining to the NCAA tournament is they're still not in a great place resume wise. However, they are now more or less in control of their own destiny. They got to play Loyola again. There are obviously plenty of games to go, but if they can pull this off and end up with a number one overall seed, win the regular season, if they win out, that might be enough. We'll, we'll see how things shake out. But regardless, they are now in a position to hold on to a number one seed entering this conference tournament, which maximizes your ability to get the auto bid, which could very well end up being what they have to do to make the tournament at this point. This could have gone in a completely different direction if they wouldn't have won these overtime games, if they wouldn't have beat Loyola, but they did all of it. They survived. They now have this quality win to put on their resume and are in a, are maximizing their chances of winning this conference tournament, at least so far. They're my winner. Well, shouts to this could have gone really bad. The, 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 oh, yeah. Like we went from you're our winners and you have a very good chance of you've put yourself in a good spot to have as clean of a path as possible to the NCAA tournament. And you are, I mean, by definition, two total points away from losing <laughs> right. to Northern Iowa and Illinois State in the last nine days. Right. And that but is instead, a completely different conversation. Right. So, but instead of being, you know, 13 and nine, with recent losses against two sub 100 Kempom teams, you had two more road wins, which isn't insignificant. And you add Loyola state, Loyola state, Loyola Chicago to that, to that equation. Now you're 16 to six, seven and two, and you're, and you still got to go to Loyola Chicago. So, you know, but at the very least um, you're currently ahead in that series and, in a very re- in a very good spot to uh to keep it rolling. So shouts to to the Bulldogs. Okay, fine. All right, fine. Um, my uh, winner, and it might have been your winner last week. At some point, it might have been. But my winner is um, wait, no, it wouldn't. No, it wasn't. It was Marquette your winner last week? Anyways, the other Big East team that doesn't seem to be able to lose a game. Um, Providence is my winner. Two wins over top 25 Big East teams. Xavier at Xavier, 65-62 versus Marquette, 65-63. They're 8-1 they're and one in conference at this point. They have a slew of postponed games that they still have to go back through. They still have to play, you know, they had a Georgetown game postponed and a few games against more difficult competition. At least I see. I say that, but you know, Seton Hall is now three and six in conference and kind of fallen off the face of the planet. But they still have to play Creighton, play UConn. But uh, it's hard to in conference play and one on the road and one against the team that seemingly couldn't be, couldn't be beat in Marquette. Uh, hard to have a better week than that. And Ed Cooley, man, eighteen and two, eight and one in conference. The Friars are absolutely rolling, and they're doing it different. This is really the only since you mentioned it now, this is really the only, the only point I wanted to make about this game is they did it a different way, right? We talked about the guards in the Xavier game and how good they were. This was your more traditional Providence performance led by your big men. Mm-hmm. And Nate Watson had a very big impact on this game. 
the guards were better in the second half, which is kind of what helped turn the tide. Marquette was sensational defensively early, but Providence found a way to get some shots to fall in the second half and just did what they've done all season in a matchup of teams that win every close game they play. Right. They managed to win. <laughs> they managed to make the couple plays down the stretch to hold on for this one. I think yes. it was. I think it was. They had the stat during the game. I might be wrong on this, but I think it was something like these teams are were combined eleven and zero in games decided by five or fewer wow. points. Wow! <laughs> wow! And yeah, yeah, they just keep rolling. They won a game in which they shot thirty eight percent from the field, thirty percent from the three point line, and sixty eight percent from the free throw line. It's kind of it, it's it's hard to win games when your splits are like that, and they found a way to do it. You know, it's funny. I'm I'm chuckling here because you said you know, they found a way to do it differently than the Xavier game. And that is absolutely true. And yet the final score was one point apart. They scored 65 <laughs> points right. in both and Marquette scored 63 to Xavier 62. So from a final score perspective, it literally, there's only one way it could be more the same, but from a meat and potatoes of the game and how they got the win, of course, a, a very different, a very different one, but yes. The Friars are my are my winner this week. All right. Give me the veggies. Who's your loser? Stay right in the Big East. Okay. Creighton. Creighton. This was yeah, shouts to the dogs, baby. This might be up there for the worst week of a season. And the loser of all losers. Yeah. They shot nine percent from three against Butler and lost by 17. They're outscored by 14 in the second half. Mm-hmm. Two of 22. Okay, that happens. Butler is getting healthy. They're a better basketball team than their record suggests. When Four all and the six in the Big there. East, baby. Four They're and six not, in the yes, Big East. They are, not, they are not bad when they are healthy. The problem is they are bad when a piece or two is missing, and they haven't had their pieces most of the time. Seamus Lukosius, take us to the promised land, baby. <laughs> so that was not great. And then you had the debacle against Xavier. They gave up 55 second half points in a 74-64 loss. 55 of Xavier's 74 points came in the second half. They gave up 19 points in the first half and managed to lose by double digits. Mm. They They were outscored by 41 points in the second half over those two games. Right, so, okay, a road loss against a average, we'll just say Big East team, not a huge deal. Especially when you can follow that up with a win over a very good Xavier team, which is what Creighton put themselves in position to do. Mm. Then they blew that one. And, yes, they've got plenty of opportunities to write this thing and make this a relative non-issue by the end of the season. But if they end up on the wrong side of the bubble, this week is the reason why. Plain and simple. Even if they just could have won one of those games. But to get so thoroughly dominated in back-to-back second halves for a team that is nowhere near safe in the NCAA tournament picture is tough. So we'll see. Again, plenty of time. How they bounce back is important, but You only have so many good opportunities in the Big East. There are going to be more losses just because of the level of competition every night, and Creighton is very quickly shrinking their margin of error. And it's also just a continuation of a a truly 
just a really bad month in the Big East for Creighton. I mean, it started with a road win against Marquette on January 1st. And until today, I'm pretty sure until this weekend, I'm pretty sure they were the last team to beat the golden Eagles, but they haven't beat a big East team, not named DePaul or St. John's since, since they beat Marquette on January 1st. So they went, you know, it, they only went three and four, but that's, you know, they got smoked by Villanova. They lost to Xavier in, in a relatively close game, but they get to get smoked by Butler the way that they did. Like that's just a, a hard one to swallow. And they still have to play UConn on the road. They still have to play Seton Hall on the road. They still have to play. They get to play Georgetown twice still. That's helpful. Um, but they, you know, they're playing UConn twice still, Seton Hall twice, Marquette still. Um, and even game, you know, they play Providence again. And even games like, you know, yes, you still get to play St. John's and yes, you still get to play DePaul, but those, both of those games are on the road and those can be right when you're a team like Creighton that if you don't shoot it particularly well, which is weird because they're a truly horrendous three-point shooting team, but from a percentage perspective, but it's kind of one of those things we've started to connect to Creighton regardless of if they're actually a good three-point shooting team or not it's like oh yeah Creighton shoots a a bunch of threes um but with that being said uh yeah tough tough month for Greg McDermott's team and really we've gotten to the point you know apart from that we've gone quickly from this team just beat Villanova and Marquette in back-to-back games to does Creighton beat anybody who's who's any good in the big East. Like, I think that's a, that's a fair question that we're asking at this point. You know, I'm not really sure who my loser is here. I think that Creighton's a good one. There's part of me that wants to go with Kansas because that's just unacceptable to get smoked from beginning to end the way that they did at fog Allen, but we can get to that here more in a moment um you know i i think from a I mean, there are a bunch of teams that like they either lost once or they didn't lose to i i'm gonna go with a team that didn't have a horrible week but a team that is gonna is trying to keep pace with the teams at the top of their conference and the, the team they lost to this week uh very much not helpful um usc is now eight and three in conference and they've lost to stanford twice and they lost to stanford again this week yes they beat cal this week so it was a very vanilla week but when you're trying to keep up with ucla and arizona and yes they're still they had their arizona game postponed and they'll play ucla twice in the last two and a half weeks of the season but it's becoming very clear very quickly that the winner of the PAC 12 is going to have to win a ton of games. And now USC's played 11 games, which is two more than UCLA and three more than Arizona in conference. And they're still a game back because pretty much because of these two losses to Stanford. Um, But those are just this week in terms of a team that's trying to, to win their conference. Uh, USC kind of, you know, 
they let Stanford walk into their building and walk out with a win. And if they have aspirations, not only did they do that, they lost the second half by nine. If you're going to do that, um, it's going to be much, much harder to win this conference. And it, it more or less makes us a two-team race. Not that right. I, I think we were both of the opinion it was a two-team race, but you couldn't discount USC mm-hmm. at the beginning of this thing when they hadn't had op- really an opportunity to play the other two teams and they were racking up the wins. Now that's not happening. And so, yes, they're very clearly dropping into that second tier. And Stanford's playing quite well right now. It's still a good, not great Pac-12 team, which, right, if you're trying to keep pace with your two direct rivals, they're up at the top of the conference. It's our games you got to win. No doubt about it. It's a game. It's still a team that lost to Washington in the last two weeks. Yeah. That's it's that's it's a... never perfect with Stanford. There are great moments and frustrating moments. It's just kind of a roller coaster, you know. I hear you. I hear you. Okay, let's get to the more important games of the weekend, starting with the aforementioned Kentucky and Kansas 80 to 62 in Fog Allen. In Fog Allen. Man, I'm right out of the building. In a game that Ty Ty Washington went one of nine from the field, oh four from the three point line, two points. He did have five assists and three steals, but like, right, it's not like Kentucky just scored eighty without their most dynamic offensive player really being existent on the offensive end of the floor at all from a scoring perspective. But Keon Brooks Jr. and Oscar Shibway combined for forty. What is that? Quick math. 44, 44, 22, <laughs> two and four. Yeah. Um, and they absolutely, right from the jump, dominant. They won the first half by 20, cruised to a victory at Fog Allen. And like, it's, I, I think it's, it's about time to talk about Kentucky as a real national title contender. I mean, we did a final four top 10 last week, two weeks ago. Was that two weeks ago? I think. Two or three weeks ago, two and a half, something like that. And neither of us had Kentucky on that list. And here we are on January 31st, and that was clearly perhaps not a mistake, but clearly uh, if we had done that two weeks later, they would absolutely be included on the list. Uh, A really ugly day for the Jayhawks in in Kansas and uh, Kentucky looking like a very formidable foe. For the rest of the country. If only they would have done this all season, that would have looked really intelligent. I mean, you're still 17 and four on the season. Yeah, they've been and your your worst loss is probably what Notre Dame, who's playing well in the ACC. Yeah, yeah. I, on the road at Notre Dame too, for what it's yeah. worth. So they yeah. don't they don't have a loss that's not a true road loss. No, yeah. sorry, that's a lie. They lost to Duke at the beginning of the season, yeah. but yeah. since but since that. Yeah, I mean, this was, this was the, the ability to do this is the reason why I was so high on them. Obviously, they hadn't done it. Mm-hmm. But my goodness, between the interior, like you said, Sheboy just pulverized everybody like he does every game. And Keon Brooks just did whatever he wanted and made every mid-range jumper he took mm-hmm. because they were all open and he was, I mean, having the game of his life. Those two guys, their rebounding, their athleticism, 
their ability to step away from the basket. Sheboy a little bit, but Brooks, obviously, especially he can stretch the floor. Mm-hmm. Brooks would be one of the best rebounders in the country if Sheboy wasn't his teammate. <laughs> <laughs> and, right. and Brooks is still putting up very good rebounding numbers. Those two guys are sensational. The other part about this I love on the Kentucky side, in a world where so many teams turn the ball over so much, those guards, and yes, you, you talked about Ty Ty Washington's actual stat line and it wasn't all that pretty, but they made good decision after good decision and put their teammates in positions to succeed. They took care of the basketball. They pushed it in transition, did all the things that you expect out of Kentucky. And it was just awfully impressive. There was the one play where I believe it was Severe Wheeler threw the ball backwards at his own rim, trying to save a ball I don't think he needed to save. I didn't see a replay, so maybe it was deflected off a Kentucky guy and he was trying to save their possession. But that was the one play I went, oh, that was, nope, never, never, ever again. Hmm. Throw it toward your own basket. Other than that, though, they were, in terms of just understanding, okay, we need to get Sheboy and Brooks the ball. And there were a couple plays where they would find Kellen Grady, who was just kind of trailing, and he had a few inches of space, but obviously that's all he needs. And Mm -hmm. so it was just quick, let's get him the ball. I just love watching them play. They made such good decisions, and that's one of the big things that obviously so many teams struggle with at the college level, to have these younger guards look that mature. And, yeah, in terms of national title implications, moving forward, we talk about guard play all the time. Does it need to be a little bit better in terms of the production you're getting from Ty Ty Washington? Sometimes there'll be games where certainly it does. And we'll, we'll talk about Baylor here in a With little With all while. due respect, there's no, he must be better from a production standpoint for them to win the national championship. Yeah. To, right, to, right. To win, to win all of those games in a row. There are, there's a singular game you can get away with it when everybody else is playing the way they did in this one. But you look at even this Baylor team this year that's making some uncharacteristic mistakes. It just happens with most teams. I will always be high on the team that doesn't make those kind of mistakes. And right now that is Kentucky. On the the Kansas side, I mean, defensively, as we've talked about before, it is still a mess. They do not seem to be getting better. They seem to be getting worse. David McCormick got more or less benched again. And if they have – the, the few teams that have the bodies to deal with them on the perimeter, if Ochai Abaji isn't special, they're in trouble. That was the other thing that stood out to me in this game is, right, the, Kentucky's individual defenders might not be the absolute best in the country, but they got a bunch of tall wing guys that can guard those, guard your Abajis and your Christian Browns and all of them. And, yeah, here we are. <laughs> not to mention that Mitch Lightfoot was more productive than – David McCormack in this game and it wasn't particularly close. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like if you told me before this season started that that Kansas and David McCormack would let Oscar Sheboy and Keon Brooks Jr. go for 44 and 22 and that David McCormack wouldn't be one of the nine best players on the floor. I I'd be stunned and what they right what that does is and we've talked about this some before but when kansas's wings are clicking then kansas can beat 
pretty much anybody. But when they're not, and, you know, Jalen Wilson, Christian Brown, and Ochai Baji in this one combined to go 12 of 35 from the field. Like, when you don't have David McCormack, and you don't have the... Can we talk about that as well? Like, and I know we've, and I know I've beat the drum dead on this one too, but everybody who was high on Kansas in in the regular, you know, before the season started was David McCormack has a chance to be the big 12 player of the year. You've got Jalen Wilson, Ochai Baji, and Christian Brown coming back. And Ochai Baji has been better this year than anybody, than way better this year than he was last year. And then, the, the the third head on that three-headed monster was look at these two guards they're bringing in and Joseph Yusefu and Remy Martin. Do you know how many minutes combined those two guys played yesterday? Not yesterday, two days ago. 15 or so. Martin was out there for a while. 18. Yeah. 18. And, and I know that this isn't new news and that, right, we've, that Remy, right, Yusefu has never been a, like a massive part of this, the success or failure of this team and Remy Martin has, you know, had a fluctuating season. We'll put it that way. That, that all of a sudden, right. It's either, Hey, we need our, our wings to play like all Americans, all three of them at the very least, all three of them to be first team, all big 12 caliber kind of performers or we're going to lose because our defense isn't very good. We have no interior presence and our guards have been, have been uninspiring average. I mean, there've been some good games and Dewan Harris has been, has been decent this year, but it's just every time I see them play a good team, it's like, this is not what this was supposed to look like in any way. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and that is, that will continue to surprise me. And and I would love to hear from Bill Self. At what at what point did he realize how different it was going to be? Because I'm sure he realized it at some point that it just wasn't going to look like the way that everybody was previewing it to look. Because right, he's only playing. He's playing McCormack and Lightfoot the same number of minutes basically, and that's that's really really not what it was supposed to look like. And I'd be curious to know when he realized that was going to be the case. Because it is, and, and your result is that when you play a team that's clicking and that is as talented as you are, and Kentucky is both of those things, if not more talented than you are, then uh, then you don't look like you belong on the same floor. It's a very strong argument for Ochai Baji's player of the year case. How mm-hmm. reliant they have become on him and mm-hmm. what happens when he's not the best player on the floor. With all that being said, Kansas is still six and one in one of the best conferences in the country. So, yeah. like, perhaps a slight over exaggeration, but in in the context of the Big Twelve, it's not like I mean the Big Twelve in general. Like, thank God for Texas and Texas Tech because, and Texas in particular, because Texas Tech beat a team they were supposed to beat in Mississippi State. But like, Texas, if you know. Kansas and Texas almost let a different, you know, an SEC team come in and and beat them. So it was it was pretty close to being a really bad. But like TCU got a win, Texas Tech got a win, and Texas got a win. So it became much more, um, much more balanced than it was really close to being. But um, but anyways, uh, it still will. It is. It, it might be the most perplexing thing about this season is how. 
is how different Kansas looks from the way I would have predicted it on November 1st. Yeah, you're not winning six games with that kind of formula, though. Something's got to change. Oh, definitely not. Absolutely not. No, right. You, you can't change the offense. The offense is what the offense is right. at this point. But – and they, they do have a track record of doing this. It's only we're, – we're, you know, we're not in February yet. We will be in a matter of hours. Defensively, though, yeah, they got to figure something out. It's, it's a mess. And, and I don't remember ever feeling this way about – like, because, you know, you've got those teams every year that you look up on February 1st and they've – they're, you know, they've won 20 – they're 17 and three, but you're not really sold on how good they are. It's either. Yeah. Kansas is not nearly, it's a Kansas team. Like, like last year, last year, was it last year? They were relatively uninspiring. Yes. Yeah. Right. So last year, and let me, let me jump. Four seed, right? Yes. They were a three seed, three seed. They lost to USC, but like you never really thought that Kansas was, was like the team to beat. But, and like there's reflected in their, the point I'm getting at clunkily and and quite poorly is that I can't remember a time when Kansas was winning games at the clip that they are right now. And I'm still, and, and I'm just so not sure about them. They're 17 and three and I'm still, and I'm just, so not sure about them and and part of it's because it's just not going the way that i thought it was going to go from a product on the floor perspective yeah it's very strange it's a very good point and the final thing i'll say is you know it's bad when they're throwing junk defenses out there and i mean they were trying everything and then the two three zone worked for a while helped get them back in the game then they kind of went away from it and Mm -hmm. kentucky sort of figured it out and had a couple good possessions but they were playing triangles and twos there was just no answer. And that is when you're this deep in the season, right? At this point, usually you feel like either, okay, there's just a ceiling on this Kansas team or Bill Self has figured this out and here they come. Mm-hmm. I got no clue what happens next. Yeah. Right? I, I'm not convinced they're going to fix it, but I'm also not ruling it out. It's, and like you said, they're still a top 10 team in the country. It's just a strange world. Okay. Let's go to the second. Second biggest game, I don't know the, the 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 game with the second most enticing small numbers next to their names. <laughs> um, over in the Big Ten, uh, Purdue eighty one seventy eight win over Ohio State. Jaden Ivy had his this highlight's going to be on every draft montage and every montage for him the entire the rest of his career moment with a three-pointer that was basically the exact same shot that he took against Indiana and it didn't go in this one went in I don't think I've ever seen anybody jump higher on a jump shot ever (laughs) like that guy I'm convinced is still on his way down he that elevation was ridiculous was unreal and on a possession that was quite poorly constructed until the very end shouts to Eric Hunter for not taking a ill-advised shot and realize how much time he had left And, and like the why you're not passing the ball into Jaden Ivy there in the first place is a little like, what are we doing? But it completely fell apart. And apparently it was supposed to go to Zach Eady there, mm-hmm. not, not to uh, Jaden Ivy, but either way, Jaden Ivy uh, buzzer beater, I, I guess game winner. There was like 0. 0.6 on the clock when, when it went through the net. But with that being said, 
Zach Eady made two free throws with 9.15 left in this game, and Purdue went up 60-45. to And they needed to score 21 more points in the next 10 minutes to win this game by three. So it got a lot closer than it was supposed to. And even with, I mean, with two and a half, two minutes and 13 seconds left, Malachi Branham knocked down three free throws. He got fouled on a three-pointer. And they were down by 11 at that point with two and a half minutes left. And still with, with 21 seconds left, it was tied. And then Jaden Ivey, we know, we know the rest, but uh, a game that Purdue won the first half by nine kind of cruising. And then the story is just going to be the Jaden Ivey three pointer rather than uh, Purdue almost letting one really slip away inside Mackey. But uh, nonetheless, Boilermakers seven and three in conference. And uh, that was, that was quite the shot. What say you won back in the big 10? What say you about uh, Sunday afternoon at Mackey? Yeah. Thank goodness for Purdue. The Jaden Ivy hit that shot. Also, what a great appetizer to what Sunday afternoon ended up being like, like that was, <laughs> yeah. what a phenomenal start to the day. Like, like that was, that was the third most exciting game to happen on the networks yesterday. And it had a, a, a three pointer uh, right at the buzzer. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, that kept them in the race. If you lose that one in that fashion at home to a team that's ahead of you in the standings, I don't see a way back in the Big Ten title race for Purdue if they lose that. We're going to repeat a lot of themes that we've discussed about Purdue before. But the first thing, you know, I was taking notes as this game was, was going on, and in the first five or so minutes of the second half, the first thing I wrote down was there might not be a worse matchup in all of college basketball. I feel bad that Chris Holtman has to play these guys at least once a year, if not two or three times. Now he constructed his rock. I mean, he obviously chose how to construct his roster, but there is no, there is no, I, I still can't wrap my mind around the fact that Ohio state actually for 39 and a half minutes scored as many points as Purdue did. It's not because Ohio State is bad. It's because Zach Eady and Travion Williams were doing whatever they wanted. Because Ohio State can't guard them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they might be able to get away with one big, but certainly not two. And, of course, you've got to kill first out there, too, right? It's not like the rest of Purdue's team is small. Right. That was going to be my takeaway. Tough day for Caleb first, by the way. Yeah. Zero, zero, one, and one with four fouls. Anyways, I'm just looking yeah. at the box score, but your point is still very well taken. Because Purdue played really good defense in the first half, and I thought, okay, that's a positive. Want to point that out? Mm -hmm. I just don't know how much stock I can put in it because it's against Ohio State. Right. <laughs> this is the if they could design a team to play, it would be this one. And then they fall apart down the stretch. Now credit to Ohio state, Ohio state turned into uber efficient offense and hit every shot that they took, mm. which obviously Ohio state, that's how Ohio state survives with some of their physical shortcomings in terms of size and rebounding and things like that. Uh -huh. They're a, consistently, they're one of the most eff efficient offensive teams in the country. EJ Waddell hits the couple threes. They get fouled from three. You know, they just, it was a combination of Purdue playing really bad defense and Ohio state making a lot of terrific individual plays. I just, yeah. And then, and then the final shot, that's a great player making a terrific play that his team desperately needed credit to Jaden Ivy. Just the idea that it took that for this Purdue team to win this game, which I think, I mean, they were up, I believe 20 
a few minutes into the, and then it got down to 15 and it kind of went back and forth. And then it was, you know, 11, 12, 14 for a while. And then it got to single digits and then Ohio state hit the couple threes to tie it at the very end. But the fact they couldn't even execute on the last possession, it just goes against everything I've come to expect from this Purdue program. How do you not get the, how does the ball not go to Zach Eady? I don't see, uh, see, I'll actually go the other way. How do you, I mean, how do you, uh, right. I, I suppose I like, I, I got questions for Matt Painter. Why that is Jay Ivy not getting the ball there? Right. And, and it seemed that it seemed like people were, conf- and I think Ivy even said this, that he was confused or he, for, I think actually the phrase he used, he said he forgot the play or something. Yeah. There was clearly confusion about what they were trying to do, which that's yes. a fair point. That's on Matt Painter. Now with now, you just got finished talking about how if you if you're Purdue, you'd love to play a team that's got nobody taller than six, right? And guys on the perimeter that you're not all that scared of. That you'd love to play that kind of team. So right, if the guy guarding the seven four guy is a good seven inches shorter than he is, then like okay, yeah, f- fine. But I'm also Right. I, I, I am very much two things when it comes to end of game offense. One, run offense. Right. And two, run offense that, right, we can have the best player taken in the last shot and still run offense. Yes. And even if on paper it makes sense to get Zachy to the ball there, Jay Ivey's your best player. I mean, like, he shouldn't have to run and serve, even if he did forget the play. Like it should be very, very easy for him to be the secondary option. Like he had to run in circles. It's like he was a decoy and maybe that's what he was. And, you know, but he was like literally following Eric Hunter around the three point line in that clip to try and, you know, you know, save Eric Hunter one, but like, because he wasn't going to be anywhere near the play otherwise, but. And, and they got a bad shot. Yeah. I mean, it was a terrible shot. He made it in right. You live with it because it's Jaden Ivey it would be a different conversation if somebody else, but that just everything, right. The, the falling apart, the defensive lapses, some of the times the turnovers and the mistakes they make, it's just, it's happening time and time again. And I just can't, I can't, it's one of right up there with Kansas. It's almost, I think this is harder for me to wrap my mind around because it's not, Oh, those guys aren't, they're just not performing the way that we expect mm-hmm. now. Right, there is confusing parts about that for Kansas too, but it's not like this Purdue team looks worse than I think they are. They just don't win all the games. Mm. <laughs> that seems like really basic analysis, but I just it it just leaves me baffled sometimes. And yet here they are still a top five, seven team in the country. You know, <laughs> it it has not been as seamless for them the last month as I as I thought it was going to be. Because even right, and and I don't know if I said this on this pod or said it on a different one, but or not a different one. I'm not cheating on you with a different podcast without <laughs> telling you. Um, not a different one, uh, but just saying it off, you know, off air. But I've seen Purdue have an easier time winning Big Ten games when they've had a worse team. Right. Oh, a way worse team. Right. Which is which is you know whether or not specifically part of your point or not but like basically what you're getting at there it's like 
if there's one thing I can count on Purdue to do, it's execute. Exactly. And then when you have the the better team from a talent perspective, they're like execution plus more talent means you're going to win a lot of games and also means that you think it'll probably be a little easier for them to win games than they actually are. And right. for the first seven, you know, for the first 38 minutes of this game, that's exactly what they're doing. They're up by 10 with two minutes left. The game should have been over. And then, you know, the simplest of, you know, eat clock, don't turn the ball over and, you know, knock down your free throws, you know, score once, you know, you score once you're fine. Um, and instead that's, um, that's not what they did. It's a great, it's a great point that, and part of the reason that I think I was so excited about this team and still exactly. am, right. Right. And still am that, right. You, you, we've seen the teams that Matt Painter has taken to winning the big 10 regular season. Those, those were good teams, right? I mean, but this team from a truly difference making talent and in, in one player in particular, and also just how good they are and well-rounded they are that you thought, well, we, they're going to execute. Now they're going to be actually better from a talent perspective. This should be easy. And it, uh, it hasn't been that. They brought two first team, all big 10 caliber players off the bench. Yep. Two. And it was still that difficult. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. That's exactly it is that, Everything I associate with Purdue, this team is the antithesis of. Mm-hmm. And I, I just can't explain it. But it, it, it's clearly just the reality of this season. I don't have a lot of – they might be able to overcome it. I don't have a lot of confidence they can fix it. We've seen it too many times now. And I think that might be – I was, you know, produced uh, the local morning talk, sports talk show this morning here in Indy. And they had Mark Monteith on. And Mark Monteith is a freelance writer. He's been covering Pacers and Indiana hoops and sports for a long time. But he said something interesting because they asked him in the context of the Pacers about scouting Jaden Ivey as an NBA player. And he straight up said, I don't think Jaden Ivey is ready to be an NBA player. Which was a fascinating thing for him to say because and part of me is like well of course he is have you seen him play he'll he'll be fine but also there are there i suppose what i'm getting at here is he's maybe not as reliable as you'd like for him to be and he's a little hot and cold and you know trying on the other end of the floor sometimes is dictated by how are things are going on the offensive end all of these things to say is that i'm not that it's that it's not quite a Purdue makeup that I that we're super used to. Like maybe it's, of course, it's not a net negative. But what kind of impact does that have when you have a guy who's clearly the best player on the floor or clearly capable of it? Because, but then again, we've seen that with Carson Edwards. I I'm really wondering out loud here about what the the issue might be there because a lot of the same guys are there from last year, almost all of them, because that was kind of the point, right? They were really good last year or better than they were supposed to be last year. And Jaden Ivey had this coming out party in the last month and then they bring everybody back. I mean, this wasn't really an issue with last year's team, was it? No. And it's not like they're selfish players. Right. Again, you got these guys bought into coming off the bench. That's incredibly difficult to do. Yeah. I don't right. know. I don't know either. It, I mean, it, the only thing I can point to is it's the, exp- it's the way to the expectations because they know how good they should be. Maybe so. 
and it, it's hard to it's hard to reach that. I just had more faith that they were going to. We'll see how it goes. Now, with all of that being said, this is still a team that <laughs> right, they, right. This is this is overreaction pod Monday, not or 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 fair reactions to things that ultimately might not be right. Kansas is still atop the Big Ten, uh, the Big Twelve, and Purdue now is just a game back of the leaders in the Big Ten. So maybe it's just overreaction to a certain extent, but uh, especially when talking about. Kansas and Purdue and the idea of either of those teams winning six straight games in March, maybe that's uh, where this comes back to yes. be a bigger deal than that's, just in, than just in conference play. That's where my commentary is aimed at this point. Would you like to talk about little Baylor, Alabama? Yes. Um, well, we'll, we'll hear 87, 78, the crimson tide. Okay. Full stop. One moment, please. And let me go ahead and tell you how Alabama has gotten to their 14 and seven. Are you ready? You ready? All right. We're going through all 21. Started off the season relatively strong, had a scare against South Alabama, but start with wins over Louisiana tech, South Dakota state, South Alabama, and Oakland. Then they lose to Iona on a neutral 72 68. We saw that coming. Then they beat Drake who we've seen is a quality mid-major. We've talked about them earlier in the podcast. Go dogs. Go Bulldogs, sorry. They beat Miami, Florida by 32. The Miami, Florida team that has like keeps winning games in the ACC. That, that same team, they beat them by 32. Followed that up with back-to-back wins against Gonzaga and Houston. Okay? You following me? Yes. Then they get smoked by Memphis. Smoked. Proper smoked. They only beat Jacksonville State at home by six, and then they lose to Davidson in a three-game stretch. Then they beat Tennessee and Florida. Then they lose to Missouri, Auburn, and Mississippi State. Then they beat LSU. Then they beat Missouri. Then they lose to Georgia. Georgia, a sub-200 Ken Palm team. Sub two, not 100, Mr. Dorn. Sub-200 Ken Palm team. And it's not like that was a month ago. That was four days ago. I guess a week ago at this point. But four days ago when they played Baylor on Saturday afternoon, and then Baylor comes into their building and they win 87-78. And really what all of this can shake down to is that when your guards in the backcourt are going to combine for 40 points, 10 assists, 11 rebounds, um, five steals, and only five turnovers between the two of them, and you get 30 points off the bench. So we can add J.D. Davison to this guard to this guard conversation as well. So really, you're getting 55 from your guards. It's pretty easy to win games. But really, when Shackelford and Quinterly are cooking, then they, then they can beat a lot of teams on their schedule. And uh, those guys were cooking on Saturday, and Alabama beat Baylor 87-78. Now that I've spent far too long teeing you up, far too long, uh, what say you about the Baylor Bears loss to Alabama? Yeah, and now Alabama has beaten three or four Final Four teams from last season. <laughs> You're right; they have. And honestly, if like if if they're a four seed, I'm looking real hard at that 12 seed to beat them. <laughs> 
Well, so that's okay. That's the thing. I have a couple of specific points I want to make about this game, but that was my other thought is, okay, they have too many bad losses. This is not Alabama of last year where they, you know, 90% of the time they shot the ball well enough and played good enough defense. So they ended up as a two seed mm-hmm. where our message going into the NCAA tournament was they're going to win a couple games probably, but I do not trust them to do it five, six, four, five, six times and get to a final four because they're going to have that one game. This is not that. I'm on the complete opposite side of, right, if they're a four or a five seed or something, okay. Yes. Are they absolutely in danger of losing in the first round? Sure. If I'm the one or the two seed, I also want no part of these guys (laughs) because every time they play a team that has more talent than them, they just rise to the occasion. Nate Oates has to be doing a lot of wondering. They're also one of those very confusing teams. Nate Oates is rejoicing like like this earlier this week. Nate Joy, Nate Oates is rejoicing, pulling his hair out, and also the hair that he has left is gray. Like those three things are happening for Nate Oates. This all at the same time. All at the same time. Yeah, that was my so right. These one seeds don't want any part of these guys. I'm convinced of that. Nope. The question is, can they win enough games to get into the three, four conversation? Are they going to be a six seed or something? Cause they have a couple more bad losses and they just do this weird fluctuating thing somewhere. Mm-hmm. The game itself. Yes. The moral of the story is it's not about the three point shooting this year. It's about whether those guards show up and dominate a game because they can. And if they do, Alabama's probably going to win or they're going mm-hmm. to give Auburn a run for their money at least. And Baylor not having LJ Cryer certainly mattered in this game. Of course best offensive weapon on the team Mm -hmm. however this finally (laughs) was my concern about Baylor all season that they really hadn't had an issue with which is I want the I want my my best defenders to be able to stop the ball Mm -hmm. they couldn't do it of course this is a different level of challenge with these two NBA caliber guards that Alabama has but it didn't matter who it was a Kinjo Flagler you know, Kendall Brown and James Sohan would get sweat. It didn't matter. Jeremy, not James, sorry. They were, they were just blown by everybody. And it was particularly the, the two guards, because as we've discussed, their defensive gifts are on the, on the wings and in the interior, as opposed to what they were offering defensively in the backcourt last year. Right. I want last year's defense over this one, even though they're a great defensive team. And the other problem is the the perimeter athletes are terrific. These freshmen. They're an they, okay defensive team. Are we talking about Baylor or Alabama? Baylor. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought yeah. you sorry. My bad. No, no, no. The, the I freshmen. spaced for, I spaced momentarily and I was like, are you sure? Top yeah. oh, no, 75 no, no. Kim no, no, no. bomb defense? Okay. No, sorry. No, the two. Sorry. The two freshman wings offer something completely different because of their athleticism. Right. Baylor is 10th at defensive yeah. efficiency. Okay. Never my apologies. <laughs> it only matters so much though when your big guys get played off the floor because they can't mm-hmm. they, I mean, Scott Drew just sat him. He said, mm-hmm. We can't play with these guys this way. We got to try and match them. And it's remarkable their roster is constructed in a way that they could actually try to do that. <laughs> but that's what makes their defense so special, is all the switchability. And what Flo Thamba and, and Chama Chach would give you in addition to Kendall Brown. And it, they didn't have that in this game. And mm-hmm. if you can't stay in front of people, doesn't matter how good the rest of your defenders are. That was the other point I wanted to harp on. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's go, pretty much that's pretty much all I had on that game. You got anything else? Can I go through a couple other things real quick? Yeah, hit me. Uh, Hunter Dickinson is a very good offensive player. I am worried about Hunter Dickinson's ability to play in the NBA, not because of his offense and his sort of old school traditional skill set. Every time Michigan State got him in any kind of ball screen, it didn't matter if it was 25 feet from the basket or if it was something short. He there, those guards just ran right by him. It, Mm -hmm. it was not, he was trying to catch up and contest the basket. It was by the time they had gotten level with them, they were gone. Honestly, I haven't watched all that much Michigan this year and they have some struggles, but that was just glaring. Michigan state got whatever they wanted going to the basket. That is a concern. Now he, he and Diabate were terrific offensively. Mm -hmm. They just couldn't get stopped and Michigan state had a field day and they got more good games from a, wider variety of players. Max Christie was terrific. Malik Hall was good. Marcus Bingham, Joey Hauser, AJ Hogard to go down the list. Um, AJ Griffin is doing something. That guy's kind of gross. 50% from three on at least 50 attempts. The, there are, the other one doing it is Jazz Koontz at Iowa State, but he only took 40 something. Uh-huh. This dude is, yeah everything that you expected him to be, but we just kind of forgot about him because he was injured, took him a while to get going. Yeah, he's special. And they needed a late run to pull away from Louisville, but they they are, again, if they can play defense, watch out. And then, and finally, you mentioned the Texas-Tennessee game. If Texas didn't turn the ball over 16 times, they want to win this game easily. And yeah, you know, the Big 12 needed it. They had one point in double figures. It was Courtney Ramey, but he had 18. He was the best mm-hmm. player on the floor. So and and also Tennessee, like you could you could make Tennessee's basket about four feet wide, and they still couldn't make shots. Still. The offense is an issue. Yeah. So like that, like 19 to 53. They they, they went they shot 50% from the free throw line. That's tough. The free throw line. Five of eighteen from the three-point line. We've talked about Tennessee. Yeah plenty but if you told me like texas only scoring 52 at home is also like really yep gotta take only, better care only, of the basketball only 52 let's see where, where are the longhorns here on Kemp, at Kempom? let's take a look like if you told me that with all of those guys they had come in that the, the the side of the ball that would be sub 40 top 40 in efficiency was offense i'd be um i'd be a little surprised but yeah when it comes to turnover percentage they're outside the top 170 in the country um but their defense has been good and their defense yeah. was good what well, it was good again against uh tennessee and when you when you play good defense against a team that can't hit the broadside of a barn with the orange with the orange sphere then uh, then you win games when you only score 52 points. But, hey, whatever gets it done. Good those are two teams that I have so – like, those are two teams that I that I want to be better than they actually are. Yeah. Like, they, they just are uninspiring top 25 teams. Like, Texas is 23rd now. Let's see, where's Tennessee now? I'm guessing they, they dropped some. 
Tennessee is 22nd. So they're both top 25 teams, but I'm just so uninspired by both. So uninspired. Good weekend, though. Was a good weekend. Was a good weekend. Man, you got anything else? No. Auburn keeps on rolling. The fighting Porter Moser stood no chance. <laughs> I don't know why I've adopted that. But Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith, just, you know, a cool 44 and 21 combined. No yeah. big deal. That's uh, It's going to be easy to win games when those two guys combine for that. I think the, I think the front court's of... pretty good. You think so? All right. All right. You, you get one front court. Uh, you get Auburn's front court or you get Gonzaga's front court. Which front court do oh, you want? Auburn. Really? Yeah. Is, okay. it, is it that easy for you? Yeah. I mean, Timmy and Timmy and Hol- to, to give Timmy and Holmgren their, their chops. Now, it was against Portland, but I don't want to hear no Portland slander. You hear me? I mean, those guys combined for 28 and 21 with six assists. It's pretty good, pretty good, pretty good uh, weekend for, for the Gonzaga bigs as well. But I am, um, I'm a little surprised how emphatically you said, you said that. I think we're, we've been trending in that direction, especially as Auburn just sort of kept on winning and kept on winning. And at this point, it's like, I won't say obvious, but Auburn's been so much more in the like, in the limelight than Gonzaga has recently just because they play in the SEC and Gonzaga is quietly going about their business in, in the West Coast Conference. Give, but, me, give me the better defenders and better shooters. I mean, and, and not that that's, a, that's unfair. Uh, that, that is not unfair. I just didn't think you would as emphatically go with them as, as you did. Yeah, it's, it's close. It's, I just don't have much trouble making the actual decision. Sure, sure, sure. Anything else? I think I'm out of things officially. I'm out as well. Duke Notre Dame this evening. That's probably the the best. Say that again. Game Game of the day. day. Vote on it. Uh, Tomorrow, we get Alabama back. Yep, Alabama's got two more. (laughs) Alabama at Auburn. Followed by Kentucky. Texas at Texas Tech tomorrow night. Also, you know how I'm not a fan of of college arenas having a corporate name attached to them? Well, the Texas Texas Tech Arena is the yep. United Supermarkets okay. Arena. Yep. That makes me want to throw up with all due respect to the United Supermarkets Arena. Um, Wisconsin, Illinois on uh, on Wednesday, as well as Villanova and Marquette and Marquette at Marquette. That's pretty lit. But uh, and then we'll get to Thursday. We'll be back on Thursday before ucla and arizona play again but anyways i ramble and now you're all you're all prepared completely prepared for for uh, the next three days in in the sport you're welcome and uh if you don't got anything else i guess i'll uh get us out of here anything else no uh uh, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen rank them the next 10 years. Mahomes. Well, what, what am I ranking? In terms of talent? If, if you had success? to pick one for your next 10 years of your franchise. Mm. Mahomes, Burrow, Allen. Mahomes, Burrow, Allen. Interesting. Okay. I was listening to a podcast earlier and they were having this discussion. So 
I uh, thought I'd bring it to you as well. But uh, okay, now we're really done. Please subscribe to the Jace for Days podcast on that podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jace for Days Pod. Check out the Podbean. And we'll be back on Thursday. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Jace for Days. Oh, and we have a we have a guest on Thursday. Mm-hmm. We have a guest on Thursday. That'll be fun. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jace for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh, and we'll see you later.